It's been more than seven years since we last chatted with today's guest on the podcast. And in the meantime, she just keeps growing her business. This time around, we asked her about the ins and outs of working with family members, building authority, and doing what she calls the daily negotiables. Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club. And on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, Kira Hug and I interviewed copywriter and founder of Copy Hackers, Joanna Weeb. Now, many of you know that Kira and I met in one of Joe's programs, so we owe a lot to her. In fact, the Copywriter Club wouldn't exist if it weren't for Joanna. But just as importantly, Joanna is one of those online personalities who's just plain generous with her help and advice. She's literally helped hundreds, probably even thousands of copywriters get started, improve their skills, find clients, develop businesses. And that's likely a big part of why she's been so successful. So as usual, we think you're going to want to stick around for this interview. But first, this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground. I've told you about the benefits that you get as a member. We've been working really hard lately on making the Underground even more useful and more helpful to the copywriters and content writers who are members. Now, if you listened to last week's podcast episode with Chaba Borsazi, you heard him mention the scorecard that he uses to close 100% of his prospects on sales calls. We didn't have a lot of time to discuss what the scorecard includes or how he uses it, but Chaba agreed to share all of that in a special presentation for the members of the Copywriter Underground. That presentation happens later this week and will be in the Underground for a limited time. So if you'd like to learn how to close 100% of the prospects that you have on your sales call, and, and by the way, that is not a guarantee, but you are going to see how Chaba does it, you need to be in the Copywriter Underground, which you can do by visiting thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. And Chaba's presentation, by the way, isn't the only upcoming exclusive that we're going to be adding to the Underground. We're going to have more to share with you about some of those in the coming weeks. But if you're in the Underground, you won't miss any of that. So go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU and join. Now, let's get to our interview with Joanna. All right, I'm going to kick this off. You know, we're we're kicking off 2024, feeling mostly good so far, right? And but when we look back at 2023, it's hard to not avoid the mammoth changes that took place in the writing space and the impact on the writers that we all know. And how difficult it was for many writers, not all writers, some writers had great years, but for many, they struggled. And so I would love to hear from you and your perspective on just like, what are these shifts that you saw? And what is working today that we should pay attention to in the writers that are more successful? Yeah. Um, That'll only take an hour to answer. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't ask that in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, we'll just let you go for an hour. We'll we'll end the episode and we'll just have you come back another another time for everybody else's questions. Yeah. We have you for the next four hours, right? No, no, absolutely. Um, And I want to hear what y'all have to say about this too. I can say my take. I know 2023 started off super scary for everybody, right? I mean, 2022, November, December was when people started flipping. Um, because of ChatGPT. What uh, was so funny? Wasn't it funny? Um, I was watching. I think it was John John Oliver. His one his HBO show he does once a Sunday, whatever it's called. 
And there was, they were talking about AI and they had this, they were cutting to clips of this, like in uh, this expert on AI who was saying what was going to change. And he's like, so this will impact copywriters and lawyers. And the second he said it, I was like, okay, wait, suddenly people know what copywriting is. Like for all of these years, no one's had a clue what we do. And suddenly it's all like, everybody knows what we do and this is going to be replaced. Um, So I was annoyed by that. But I think that kind of set the tone, like those hearing those sorts of things set the tone for a lot of people. Um, and I get it. It was like, it was a get on board, you know, befriend the bear before it eats you. Um, and then like be a slave to the bear, which is scary. And no one wants to do that. Writers already feel so insecure. Everybody already thought they could do our job. Um, so to have this extra layer of like, oh no, really, you don't have a job anymore. Uh, I know it turned off a lot of people who were already like kind of spazzing because COVID had hurt everybody so badly, right? Like every, so you're in mental recovery from COVID. Then this news that your job is being taken away. And then everybody who's been working for software companies sees all of those layoffs. So yeah, super tough year. And I think that it's one of those years for me where I'm like, yeah, some people didn't make it through and God bless them. And everybody who did make it through, God bless us all. Uh, Cause it's a tough, it's, a, it's obviously it's a tough go. Like that's simplifying it dramatically. The people who stayed are what I'm seeing, at least, is the people who've stayed and been successful about it uh, were never doing the work that AI does anyway. They like, and by that, I don't, I mean, I think what we've seen is AI can take your research and help you analyze it. So that's good, using it as an assistant, which we've all heard, but like so few people actually do you know, use ChatGPT as their, or whatever tool, you can say Jasper, but everybody just uses ChatGPT. Um, So yeah, it's those who are able to use it to make their work better and not be scared or intimidated by it. But that was really hard to come by, right? Like even saying that now, I know people are going to hear that and go like, Sure. Like, oh, brother, it's so easy for you to say, just use it. But what if I'm a junior copywriter, like a junior copywriter who doesn't know how to do what even ChatGPT can do? Uh, So those are the ones who, you know, it's hard to admit it. But if you were junior and you didn't take this job very seriously, if you conflate content and copy, you probably had a really hard year and were thinking about leaving or you left. And so the ones, if the question is like, what's working for those who stuck it out and are surviving now and are seeing their businesses grow, like the people I'm seeing businesses, freelancing services taking off um, in ways that we didn't before. And so like, it's just, to me, it's like, it's the staying power. One, take your craft seriously so seriously that it's a no brainer that I should hire you. Even if you use AI, even if my company uses AI, anybody who uses AI knows like, wait, (laughs) is this good? Am I allowed to use this? Is this accurate? Is this even right? So if you had, if you took your job seriously and you took AI seriously, not as a threat, but as an opportunity and you stayed the course, 
those seem to be the people who are succeeding. I know it feels like a place of privilege to say that, right? Like, how do you stay the course if you're not making money? How do you take the job seriously if you're still really new at learning it and juniors aren't getting the same level of employment that more strategic, senior, conversion-focused, or even just brand and creative and like big picture thinking focused copywriter is able to make? But I would say those things. Take the job seriously. Take AI seriously. Stick around. That's what I saw working. Yeah, I think I think that's all smart, and I I'm not disagreeing with you at all. But to me, AI feels like it was a smaller threat than the economy overall, especially oh. in the SaaS and tech space, where there were so many lay, layoffs, there are so many changes in marketing budgets, and while of course, yeah, it has had an impact, just like you described. Mm. What I, what I think is that AI is getting blamed for a lot of the other mm. stuff that's happening in marketing. The other thing, and we haven't necessarily talked about this, but something that's happened over the last year, I'm sure you've seen it. I, everybody I know has seen it. Like our inboxes are flooded with the offers. I can find you 30 different potential calls, clients, whatever. I've helped somebody add $40,000 a month to their job, right? And, and because that outreach thing has happened, and, and a big part of that is AI too. Mm. I think um, the way that we have traditionally done outreach and found clients and direct messaged, you know, that kind of stuff has slowed way down as an impact as well. And so it feels like it's AI's fault, but a lot of mm. it is just the economy and the way people are marketing too. I, I don't mean, know. I, I, we could have an argument about let's this. Just oh, totally. Let's just blame AI. Let's just blame you say I yeah. as a punching bag. It's more fun. But <laughs> it is. I like having a villain. A villain is good yeah, and identifiable. Okay. Yes. Um, so I, I hear you. I think, I, so for me, when like the economy, yes, it's been hurting a lot of people. Um, then there's the other side of like, you know, what's really going on with layoffs. Is it just like a really good chance to scale back on, you know, there's NPR had a show about this. People talk about this, the possibility that the layoffs are like, well, I have a bloated team and it's hard for me to get rid of them. But if the economy is bad and if Salesforce just laid off 10% of their staff, then I can lay off 10% of mine too. And, um, and it's not like, it's not that it's not real because the economy is, it's hard, right? You're, there's not yeah. enough money out there for the things that we used to have a lot of money for. But I'm, so a trigger, what I have seen is a trigger for people reaching out to me for training or for uh, copy chiefing for their team, like come in on retainer or, hey, I need a project done. Um, the trigger is often person joins company as VP of marketing or CMO. So it's a new hire at an organization where they're up at a new tier for their role they look around their team and go, nobody has any copywriting expertise in here. So they have this new team, new goals, their own pressure to perform in a bad economy. And they're reaching out to say, hey, how do you get, how can you help me with my team? Or can you come write this thing for me? And so for me, that trigger hasn't gone away. People are still going into new roles. We're still getting new VPs marketing. Um, new uh, product marketing leads, people who have moved up through the ranks are still reaching out. Like, 
if I, so I think if your job has been, Hey, I'm going to do cold outreach to get, um, clients, or I'm going to reach out on LinkedIn or whatever that is. It's, I mean, I've never been a fan of that. Like I've always been like, no, people should reach out to you. So if they, to get them to reach out to you, you are an authority. So a VP of marketing has to know your name in some way. And people get really freaked out about that. Like, how do I become an authority though? And it's like, what are you doing right now? What are you doing in this exact moment right now? They're like complaining. Like, well, how about instead of that, you start, you outline the book because you can self-publish a book today. April Dunford self-published, obviously awesome, and has built a multi-million dollar consulting business off this. It doesn't have to be as hard as you think. And it might be, this is going to be annoying to a lot of people to hear, but it might be kind of the best time ever to put your authority on the page to use AI to help you generate an outline for this book you're going to write, write the book, self-publish it, become an authority in this space instead of wondering where did all the clients go? Because there are new VPs of marketing who do look around and have teams that need help. And they're like, we need our onboarding emails done right now. Like we need them yesterday. We've had 15 year old onboarding emails going out. Like these are real things that are constantly happening. Um, but they're not going to reach out to you if they don't know who you are and they're not going to answer your cold outreach thing. Because again, like you said, Rob, they're already flooded with crappy stuff in their inbox. So the answer sadly feels like it's the same answer as ever. Make people come to you by being an authority, an unreplaceable, irreplaceable authority on X thing in copywriting. You know, like Summer had her best year ever last year trying nothing. <laughs> she did nothing, but Summer's the email person now. And so people line up to work with her. Is that too simplified? I always feel like I'm oversimplifying, but it really does always come down to just write a book. Just write a stinking <laughs> book already. What about for people who, I mean, I think writing a book has been on my list for multiple years and I've shared it on this podcast and I fail every year and I'm like, this is the year. But for some people who are like, cool, I'm going to write that book. But in the meantime, I need clients today. What could I do to build my authority this month that I can ship this month um, that's working today that maybe wasn't working a year ago? Yeah, um, do a hard thing. So I have in my calendar every morning from 9 to 10, I have a block that says, do hard things you hate doing. And some days I delete that block, but other days I do the hard thing I hate doing. I'm going to tell you, I was in a session. I'm in this like big group coaching thing with Dan Martell, actually. Um, and he was on a call. This is a really cool moment. Uh, we were having this group call. People ask questions, but in order to ask a question, you have to, and I've applied this in our copy school professional. So anybody who's in copy school pro and listening, they're like, you stole that from Dan. Yes, I stole this from Dan. Uh, in order to ask a question, you have to say, yes, I've been doing my five daily non-negotiables. Then you have to share a money win. Five daily non-negotiables include opens. So you have to reach out to five people a day to open a conversation that you can then close as a sale. And so people put up their hands and ask a question and say, yes, I'm doing the five daily non-negotiables. And then their question is like, where do I get clients? And Dan says, I thought you were doing your five daily non-negotiables. People are like, yeah, well, kind of. Um, and he was getting angry. 
on the call. Like he was getting visibly like annoyed by everybody. And then one person, God bless her, put up her hand um, and had the same question. I'm struggling to get clients, something like she was like an accountant uh, for construction companies or something like that. Uh, and Dan's like, what did you do today? Who did you call today? And she's like, what do you mean? Who did I call? <laughs> he's like so mad. He's swearing. He's like, everybody's like so awkward for her. I'm like, she's going to cry. She's probably going to cry. Like, this is a really, like, she's being like sworn at, um, with love in front of 300 people. Um, and, uh, so Dan says, okay, Give me the name of the person you want to reach out to, what company they're at, and where they are. And she's like, uh, 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 and stammering. And then she says a name and the company they're at, and they're in Texas or something. Dan Googles it, picks up his phone, calls this person in front of everybody. He's going to do a cold call to this person in front of, and we're all like, what? Like chat's going wild. This is crazy that Dan is doing this very hard thing. He's going to cold call for a company that's not even his just to show that this is a hard thing that you have to do. And if you actually want to get ahead, you have to do these very hard things. Now, it went to voicemail. We were all very upset about this. Because nobody answers their phone. <laughs> and Dan was like, hire an assistant so that you don't miss a potential sales call, dude from Texas. Um, but it was in that moment, I had one brand new respect for Dan and two, a hard reality hit that we never do the hard things. We're not going around doing hard things. We're doing one somewhat hard thing every so often. Um, but this is like, pick up the phone and call somebody. What if you called the CMO of Bitly? You call the CMO of Bitly, you somehow find this person's phone number, you call them and say, I think you need new emails. I wanna do it for you. Do a proper sales call though, like pitch. Nobody else is calling. Like you'll be the one person who's picking up the phone and calling, you could actually land something because most people want a hustler. Most people want someone who's going to do hard work. Then I will pay you money to do hard work. Companies still have budget to spend on us. They're still, they have things they're trying to get done. No one in-house, like anybody who's a copywriter and has worked with people who are in-house Love y'all, but there is some lacking skill out there in-house. There are full marketing teams who are being forced to write their own copy, who don't know what they're doing, who Google it to try to get an answer. They would love you to come in and help. Why don't you pick up the phone? If it's not working, try that. And if your answer is some excuse, you have to realize that it's on you now. The results are on you we can tell you what to do. You can know that you have to do it, but you actually have to do it. It's hard. Yeah, this, this is a favorite theme of mine. When I email about this particular thing, like you've got to do the hard work, right. I get more responses back from people who are like, thanks for the kick in the butt. Thank you. I needed to hear that. I'm not sure that it results in people doing the hard things, but... <laughs> but they need to get real mean, and, and in a world where everybody's saying, hey, it's easy to add... $10,000 to your monthly billings every month or whatever, it, it's actually 
but and it's not true. Nothing, nothing that brings in money is easy. There's like yeah. literally nothing brings in money is easy. But yeah. uh, being told that you got it. So anyway, my question is, Joe, what are the five hard things you're doing every day? Yes. Oh, I was gonna ask. my yes. five. Yes, I have my five daily non-negotiables, and they are uh, for me because I did a dump of 25 things that I've been putting off doing uh, just as fast as I could, and the copy school professional students did the same thing too to find their five daily non-negotiables, um, and then I categorized them in like what turned out to be groups. So it ended up being like, um, so Dan's non-negotiables include like, you have to sweat for an hour every day. That didn't come up as something that I need to work on because I have my own, like my practice where I do yoga and I do like activities. So I didn't find that that was a thing that was lacking for me. The things that came up for me were around uh, evergreen funnels that I've been putting off doing or optimizing. Um, my team, do they know that they're beloved and respected? Um, are they hearing good things from me and then getting more out there for content? So my five daily non-negotiables put in my calendar to review at the end of every day if I haven't already done them because it is a practice, it's a habit. Number one, comment on my daily funnel performance in Slack. So how is the freelancing school funnel doing? How is copy school doing? And how is copy school pro doing? I suck at this one, but um, because I feel like I'm just like throwing stuff at my team. So I have to get better at how to do that. But again, telling my team what that performance is and having a comment about it. Um, number two, add three short videos to our social Dropbox. That's where my team, Nicole and Mike, then take those videos and do stuff with them. Um, number three, connect personally with a team member or contractor, just some quick text or outreach or something that's just like connecting us. Number four, DM 10 followers on Instagram. I also suck at that one, but you know, I get three or five out. Um, and number five is add 100 words to my book project, which I am actually good at. Those are my five. Y'all need five. What would be your five? <laughs> um, I do, I do like a big one every week. That's my goal. I, I, I respect the fact that you're like busting out five every day for me. It's like, what is the big one this week? The thing yeah. that I put off for months or years and doing that. So it is something I've given a lot more thought recently. Like what is that uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable thing? Calling people. I don't know. I like as a millennial, we don't call people. So this is deeply uncomfortable. Gen X, Rob, like, I know you're more comfortable with phone calls. My husband is more comfortable with phone calls. He's like, I don't get why you can't just call people. Uh, so that's something I need to work on. If I, need I, had to work a, on that. if I had a dollar for every time I've said that to one of my kids, I would not have to work ever again in my <laughs> life. Like, they won't even call me. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I've never... I've never thought through this process the way, like applying it to, to the business, although I'm going to, like, once we hang up, I'm going to start making a list. But I do have several hard things or non-negotiables I do. Exercise is a big one. Uh, yeah. And I'm usually between an hour and an hour, a half a day. I don't, you know, I do take off a day every, every week, you know, for rest or whatever, but um, reading. So I've got time carved out. You know, it's it's basically that 75 hard thing where you read at least 10 pages a day in a book that is not 
fiction. It's not a story. It's something to, you know, either build my skills, build my knowledge, something like that. So that's another piece. I have a spiritual practice that's, you know, happens every day, you know, as well. Um, so yeah, so there's that kind of stuff that, that I think is there, but I like, I'm thinking, you know, it's like, okay, thinking about evergreen funnels, thinking about programs that need to be updated, fixed, you know, this stuff, like, yeah, I need to be, I need a list I think of like, these are the top 10 hard things that are next where I just, every day I have to do one. I think that would, that would help. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. I love that. Yeah. The video content too. Like that's, I mean, to me is such a pain to like articulate that, put those ideas into place, record it. And so I love that you have how many, one a day, three Three a day. Jeez. All right. Dan. I'm just going to talk a lot about Dan Martell today because he's (laughs) It's not, he's killing it. Like, and for real though, he has one person who just follows him around with the camera all day. Oh, like Gary V. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gary, the Gary V team. Is that what Gary V does? It's bananas. Because otherwise, how do you produce that much content? Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Every single thing he says becomes content. Everything. Oh my gosh. It's wacko, right? Yeah. But I mean, and these are like those... Um, roles that don't cost that much. Like you don't need a professional videographer. Like they need to hold their iPhone up in front of you. And maybe you have like one of the little mics that you put on your lapel. Um, But that's like, that's it. You can get your nephew to follow you around. Like whatever, right? Like who's looking for a job? One of your kids could follow you around. Yeah. The last thing they want to do is listen to me more. (laughs) Like that doesn't work. You, when your kids get older, you'll understand, Kira. Your kids still like you. It's, uh, yeah, that's the last thing. Twenty something phase. They're moving out of that phase. Yeah. Okay, so I want to go back to. Um, it sounds like I'm being such a downer, and I'm not trying to, but I'm just trying to keep it real. And so like, I'm curious about a struggle you had over the last, you know, six months or yeah. year. Just like as we're all struggling with many different things. Um, what was something specific that you were working through and how did you work through it if you worked oh, through it? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Many. So um, lots of struggles. So one thing was about two years ago, I had a team member quit via a lawyer. Um, so, yeah. So I had to deal with this claim that lawyers then drag out. And it was really getting to me like it was just bad feelings all the time. Like, you know, when you're getting ready in the morning or those moments when you have like time alone and when you're alone, your brain goes to it would sometimes it goes to productive things. Um, It wouldn't. It would only go to this person and this freaking what if this turns into like a proper freaking lawsuit and then I have to like go to court and I'm like gathering evidence and stuff. I'm like, this is bull. Like I don't want this. And so I was so stressed about it. I actually had at one point I had a FedEx delivery come to my door and I had so much anxiety over having this person quit by a lawyer that I thought somebody else was quitting via a lawyer as well. And I was like being served. Um, And so but it wasn't, it was just like, it was something, I think it was my banker sent me something by FedEx. 
And I immediately booked a therapy session after that. I was like, hmm, I have issues. <laughs> Something's happened. Um, and so, yeah, my therapist was like, it's probably a form of PTSD. Don't worry. A lot of people get PTSD for lots of things. So, um, yeah, so we had to work through that for that was going on for a year before I finally said to this one lawyer I was working with, like, can we just try settling with this person? Like, it's a thing that we haven't tried and I would like this to go away. Like at this point, I would pay anything for this to just go away because when I should be thinking about business and opportunities, I'm thinking about this. Um, And so then (laughs) we did. And like, it was like between us, even if this person's listening, um, it was such a small amount of money for all of the pain that I had been through. So I was like, now I'm mad at lawyers, <laughs> you ass, uh, putting me through this when it could have just been solved with here. Um, yeah. So the resolution was really quite simple, but the, the hassle of it, the mental load of that, I know it's not if you don't have a team, it's not relatable, but think about like these surprises. It could be like a tax bill that comes out of nowhere where you're like, where are we going to get that money from? Um, or whatever it is, but it was like this and it just weighed on me. And meanwhile, my team is like, get me a fun video. <laughs> like I don't have a fun video in me. Like I'm no, I'm not built for this right now, but you have to keep putting on a face and continuing to show up for work, doing things. You can't just hide under your bed and wish life would be easy. You have to keep go going and doing the thing. Um, and so that was, that was a big, that was a big problem. Thank God the business was going well and I didn't have to worry about that sort of thing. Um, But then there's the additional burden of, you know, like we have people in freelancing school and you're thinking like, gosh, it's hard for everybody out there now. And I realize I'm not showing up as well as I could because I'm stressing. So I'm not putting things out there that could help students and non-students actually get ahead of this really difficult time in a copywriter's life. So it was, it was crappy. That was what I went through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. I think this, I mean, obviously it's maybe not as, as big as having an attorney reach out, but stuff like this happens for all of us. Like even just plain old burnout, you know, if you are, if you are tired and exhausted from doing the work for so long and struggling to try to make it, it does get really hard to, to show up. A copywriter reached out to me last week. Um, her, her apartment had been broken into and you know, like that kind of a thing, just it threw her off of her game. I was honored that she reached out and just like, you know, help, you know, help me think through this. You know, what, what should I do? Um, she would even ask for my advice on that. It was, was awesome, but this stuff happens to us. And we, first of all, helps. I think if we have a game plan, you know, it's like, okay, what if everything goes wrong? Like, what would I do? But it's hard to predict so much of this stuff and, and having to show up and be, you know, be Joanna, be Rob or Kira or or whatever for your clients, for anybody else who's trusting you to do stuff is freaking hard. Yeah, it is. And that's where I think it breaks a lot of people because it's so hard. And you're like, well, I just actually do like for me to get through this, I need to stay in bed for a while or I need to go get away and clear my head in the mountains and things that like, 
And that also requires money. So there's a level of privilege required in order to take care of yourself when that's what you need most. So it's, yeah, it's no joke, the things that people are going through and how difficult it really, really is to, to get through them. Yeah, this is a very depressing topic, Kira. Thank you for bringing us. <laughs> I, I'm really good at that. I'm really good at <laughs> depressing topics. It's a gift. Uh, okay, we'll shift to something lighter. Um, as things have shifted in our space, the copywriting space, like how do you spot, identify opportunities within your business to direct your team? Um mm saying this is worth my time, this is worth the team's time to shift the business and focus here. How do you think about that and approach it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we've, when I think about like the shifts that my team has made, two big ones are way more in social media. Uh, so we've shifted away from writing long content outside of our like AI prompts section on our site. That's our only like long content that we write now. Um, and now it's more social media. So I have one person who's in charge of Instagram, one person who's in charge of YouTube. And then um, shoot, there was something else that I had. And oh yeah. And now many chat as a new, like sort of direct selling opportunity uh, with DMs and SMS and WhatsApp and all that stuff. Uh, but that's really brand new. But when I think about like where those shifts came from, uh, I was away on a retreat. Um, so it's like the people you surround yourself with are often the people who will give you what you need uh, for what's next. Um, and sometimes without even meaning to. So I was away on a retreat with a few of my friends in this thing called Shine Crew, which is like women building women up, lifting each other up instead of pushing each other down, um, which is how most are conditioned, sadly. So this lifting each other up thing, we went away for this retreat and I was there. I was talking with Gia from Forget the Funnel. She was on this retreat. Um, and she was like, Joe, something like, Joe, you have no social game. And I was like, what? I didn't know I had to. And she's like, you need to be on social. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said it as such a passing thing. Like we were just on a retreat again together in January. And I was like, so I took your advice, your little snide comment seriously. And now I've got these people on social. And she was like, what did I say? She had like no recollection that she'd even told me to do this. But point is, um, it was good advice. I was like, you're actually right. We've put so much into building our email list and doing stuff that's like for that sort of direct marketing. But when you combine what's going on, like social and all of the tools now to turn social into more of a direct channel as well, which is kind of interesting. So one part it's being told by people get your button gear, get on those spaces where everybody else is. But then the other one was another Dan Martell, buy the book, evidently, uh, buy back your time. If you're listening to this, go do that. Um, but Dan uses ManyChat for um, selling people into his coaching program. So if you follow him on Instagram and he opens a conversation with you, uh, and then it turns into, I think, an automation through ManyChat, um, and then, uh, and you can see this just by like following Dan and then see what happens. Um, 
And then it turns into, it switches over to a closer. So, and this is all set upable in many chat. You have to manually open, uh, like you have to follow some, like when someone follows you on Instagram, you then have to DM them manually to get them started. And once they reply, then many chat can take over for a bit, um, which is cool. So those are like the shifts that I'm making. But if I wasn't in Shine Crew, I wouldn't really be thinking about this my social presence being non-existent. Um, and if I wasn't um, in Dan's training, I wouldn't know anything about many chat either. So to me, it comes back to, are you in a mastermind? Are you in a group where other people are sharing great ideas? And it's really sad because the number of people who go into programs like your programs and like freelancing school, um, they tend to leave when things get hard. And that's the moment you should be staying. Like that's when you need us most. When things are easy, it's really nice to add fuel to the fire. But freelancers, consultants, people who are trying to grow their online business, there's so much to do. There's so much out there. You could do so many things wrong or just like avoid things. Um, you've got to surround yourself with people that's that are like trying to up level and like new level, new devils, right? So as you get to that new level, you have to then understand how to deal with the new devil there. So, but if you're not around people, you don't know that. So you just kind of sit there. So point answer, long answer to your question, Kira, is those are the things that we're working on that are different. And they came about because people basically said, do it this way. And so now we are. Yeah. Yeah. We're Big believers in the whole mastermind thing. Like I, I get, you, I, I, you come home from a mastermind and you've got so many ideas. It's almost hard to execute on all of the stuff. Which that's maybe the the, the downside of the mastermind is that there's so many good ideas. Yeah. Um, I, I have a, a very different question for you, Joanna. So we talked to you last on the podcast almost seven years ago. It, it doesn't feel like <laughs> it, it doesn't feel no, like it was seven years because you've spoken at our events. Like we've had you yeah. at other places and, 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 but like literally the last time we were on the podcast was episode 14 and oh that was God. recorded over seven years ago. So since then, and I mean, obviously you were doing this for a while before then you've been doing this ever since. Yeah. What are you bored of talking about? Like, what oh. do you, like you, the question you never want to be asked again, or the thing that you never want to have to say again, like, oh. what is that? Um, how do I do research if I don't have customers? How do I find new clients if I don't have results? Okay. And what Those. are the answers? No, <laughs> so, I'm oh, kidding. I'm kidding. That's how we'll wrap this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, do you actually want to know the answers no, to those? I don't. I don't. I'm not going to make you talk about it. You've talked about them so many. So many. I mean, everybody's talked about them, right? Like, yeah. 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 There are no. Yeah. There are no That's easy. A cruel trick, Rob. Yes. Okay. So, in your company today, um, you know, when you look at your website, it looks like you have you have a, a team. It looks like a growing team. Um, I notice like some other family members. So, um, yes. <laughs> So I guess there's a couple of questions here. Mm. What does your team look like today? What mm. is the role you're playing? Mm. And then I'm going to ask about working with family. So I'm going to like. Oh. <laughs> monopolize the questions for me. Yeah, I'm just going to monopolize. I'll just be quiet while Kira finishes yeah. her question. Rob, just let me finish this. I got it. 
Okay. My team today is, we made a switch to a lot of contractors. So we had people, because we were doing so many launches, we had people on full time, but then between launches, um, I need a lot of downtime between them. So it was just like, um, kind of like twiddle your thumbs a little bit. So we moved to contractors. So some of the team members that we had, uh, I just had a talk with them. Like, are you down to move into a contract role? Um, it doesn't make sense for you to be here full time. And they said, yes. So uh, we moved from having like an in-house email marketer to a contractor now that we work with. And then, and that's really good for his life because he's got a baby. Um, and all sorts of things. And his wife is very busy with her job, uh, her business. So we moved that. We moved our media buyer to a contract as well, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, a lot of those, uh, there's others that will come up. Like we had Jess Noel working on publishing for a little over a year on contract. She was great. Um, ghostwriters, of course, are on contract too. All of the people who are filling our AI prompts section are just freelancers uh, who we work with on an ongoing basis. So a lot of contractors involved. The core team is, as you said, I have two family members in there, um, as well as three other full-timers. So we're a team of six full-time right now, though. We're having an on-site because we're always off-site, but we have an Edmonton office. So we're having an on-site meeting on next Monday and Tuesday uh, where we'll be talking about some roles that we might need to open. One of those roles is likely uh, one or two people in charge of team sales because we're seeing team sales really kind of like escalate. There's a lot more demand there than there was even two years ago. Um, so that's something that we'll have to explore, but I'll be working with my team to figure out if that's the thing worth exploring. So the team that we have, um, my sister, so we think of our funnel as like a rectangle that's horizontal. So it's not a funnel at all. Cause that's upside down like that. Um, we're like, okay, if there's a customer journey here, make it a nice big rectangle. Everybody comes in and goes out and stays up on the other side. Um, so the front, before you become a customer, Paul manages that. Paul's my brother um, and he's been working for me for four or five years for a long, long time. So he manages the front and that includes, we've got um, Lindsay, she does support and she also is taking over our many chat because Support takes like two hours a day, but we need somebody always available. So that's like someone who makes sense to have on full time for us at least. Uh, so she's taking over many chat, learning to really like own that. Um, and then Nicole and Mike, Mike runs YouTube. He's responsible for growing our channel from, I think, 10,000 people right now to 100,000 by the end of the year. Good luck, Mike. Uh, Nicole is in charge of Instagram. She is in charge of moving it from 15,000 followers, I think, to 150 by end of year. Also, best of luck to Nicole. So um, with that, then we have them in masterminds as well to move them more quickly along in their skill acquisition and implementation and being more strategic about everything. Uh, so those are the three people that are working with Paul on like the front uh, before you become a customer. Sarah fully owns after you become a customer, what goes on there. Um, and that's where we have freelancing school. She oversees our four coaches that we have in freelancing school and in copy school professional. She oversees our four coaches there as well. 
And then I am across the entire journey for now. I don't see that being the thing going forward, but we used to have a team of 12 um, and I was run off my feet and doing nothing. I was constantly reacting to people and what they needed and rarely getting ahead of it. So it felt really good to take a bunch of those roles down to contractor. We moved a few of those people over to an agency, which has since become its very own thing. That's Rashi and Carolyn. Um, yeah. And that's really where we're at. So taking it back to a good place, but have you read E-Myth Revisited? Yeah. So we- Yeah, it's a fantastic kind of, book. Yeah, everybody who wants to run a team or anything bigger than themselves ought to read E-Myth Revisited that's for sure. Totally need to read it. Um, for me, I recognized in reading it that we had, because I was going through that shitty stuff with uh, my ex team member who was, who had a claim against me, against us. Um, I was going through this and that kind of scared me on people. So that's one of the reasons I like moved to contract. Um, and it also made me kind of shrink into myself a little bit, which he points out in the book is like, it's common. It's a common thing that happens. Now we got to get you back out of that. So that's the stage that I'm in right now is trusting people again um, and then moving out to a place where I can buy back my time, as Dan would say, and be able to bring on the right roles so that I don't have to do everything. And I don't do everything, but there are some things that I'm doing that I definitely shouldn't be doing. Does that answer your question, Kira? I mean, I asked five questions in my one. <laughs> that was those two team and my role. Then there's this whole working with family thing, which is like, yeah, yeah just give us a taste of what it's like to work with family, the good and the bad. Oh, there's mostly bad. Just kidding. Uh, Sarah, Paul we're going to have to figure out a way to block Sarah and your brother <laughs> from listening to the podcast. So you can get real with us here. They would say the same thing. Like, whew. um, We've actually talked to the three of us have talked about doing a podcast on like working with family, um, sibling rivalry or something. There was a different word in place of rivalry. I don't remember. We didn't do it. We might do it still. Um, it's tough. It's really, it's hard, but at the same time, there's the benefit of a person that loves you, who you love, wants to help you grow a thing that's important to you and also to them, right? It's like, they're not, if you're an employee, you can often feel like you're not part of growing the thing. And I think that that's my challenge with people um, who aren't my family, who work for me is like reminding them that this is theirs to build too. But it's harder to understand that when like, you're not a partner, you don't have equity in a company. Um, you don't get paid, you get paid bonuses and performance bonuses. Um, but if there's not that same level of ownership that you do get when you employ a family member who cares about you being successful and who knows you care about them right back, you care about your other employees too. It's just, you don't say, love you, Mike. <laughs> you don't. I mean, we don't say this stuff at work anyway. Um, but that's the good thing. The hard thing is, of course, all of the baked in history, relationship stuff and how that comes out and how hard it is to have conversations that are real and honest that don't come down to that don't turn into problems. So my brother, Paul, is really good at compartmentalizing me as like his boss versus me as his sister. So I can give him 
critical feedback and he takes it like a team member, not like my brother. Sarah and I struggle with that. Sarah's my older sister in my family were raised to like, you know, if Sarah wanted a glass of water, she would say, Joe, go get me some water. And then you do it. And when I see families that don't do that, I'm like, that was an option to say no. You could say no to your older sibling. It wasn't for us. So like, um, except for Paul, he would always say no to me, whatever. Um, but that's the tricky thing, right? Is those things. So Sarah and I are actually looking at talking to Sarah just came back. She used to work for me. Then she went back to nursing during COVID and now she's back. Um, so we're looking at getting a therapist to talk to, to just make sure that we get ahead of things um, and stay on the same page. Yeah. Remind me sure. yeah, you not work to work with, with my siblings. I, I don't think I could work with my siblings. I love no. my siblings, but I don't yes. think that would be, that'd be hard. It'd be really hard. hard. Yeah. Just, I could work with does. one of them, maybe two, the other, hard no, hard no. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard enough just to be siblings, let alone That's to be very true. No. Right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. It's hard to get together with your siblings without going like, well, it's been 20 minutes, I got to go. Uh, you know, and it's it's tough. It's very tough. Um, and I won't, I won't be hiring. Like I've got two other siblings and there's, there's no way I'd hire them. I love them. And that's why <laughs> I just couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. 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 But Purna successfully works with her husband. Yep. I know. I think Abby just hired her mom. Um, so there are like people who can do it. Yeah. All the power to them. They need to put out a course on how to do it. Yeah. Or, or maybe their relationships are just better, stronger. I don't know that, you know, who yeah. knows what it is. True. So Joe, earlier you mentioned just got to write a book. That's how you pretty much launched your business is that you wrote some books and they were shared in, in the tech community. Let's say that you don't have that option right now. I, I, I'm just going to take it off the table, even though that may be unrealistic. And you had to rebuild a business, you know, starting out from scratch, whatever. What would you do besides write the book to attract that level of attention, the, the clients to you? I know you don't want to be pitching. It's never been your thing. Um, so what would you do to build that authority faster without a book? Uh, one thing consistently. And that one thing would be something that's easy to distribute and that might have a baked in form of distribution or audience discovery. Substack was my answer before until Nazi stuff happened there. Um, but that sucks because Substack had and has like that baked in recommendation engine, which is like so powerful. Um, if not that, it has to be a thing that um, where you can show up for it, adding value daily, twice daily, whatever that might be, um, and have it get distributed. So it's really like, can you do, I wouldn't do it on YouTube because you get, it's very hard to get results on YouTube until you get to a certain level. And even then it sounds like it's hard, but probably I would show up on Instagram being very, very honest and controversial, um, not in a negative way, hopefully not in a harmful way, not controversy that's mean to people, but like saying something that is true, but that people aren't saying and just say it a lot in a lot of different ways. But that's tricky because 
if it doesn't hit, then you've put a lot of energy in. Medium might be a way to go, but yeah, it's sad that Substack has had this stuff going on because it was a really good way to grow your authority really quickly with people who read. Like that's the nice thing about uh, blog posts as they used to be in books. It's for people who read, who like engage their, their brain and their mind. They're not sitting there saying like, nobody reads online. They're like, yeah, people actually do consume information and it'll help get them to buy from us. So I don't know that there's an easy, what do you, what would you, what do you think? What's your take on that? Start a podcast. Yeah. I'm always concerned about a podcast. I know you guys do it very, you you both do it successfully. I'm just like, but it's this like walled garden thing that doesn't seem to have a recommendation engine built in. Does it? Do you get? There are some, there are some, um, like I think HubSpot has a recommendation engine they've built. So I think there are more and more of those organizations that you can tap into. Yeah. Looking into I mean, attribution's wow. hard with a podcast for sure. Um, but there, the, I think podcasting has one uh, advantage that no other media has. And I know I've said this once or twice before, but um, all other media is external to yeah. us. Like you see billboards, you read magazines, you even read books like outside of your brain. But mm-hmm. podcasts happen inside your brain. We, Even though mm-hmm. we're recording it in the world, you mm-hmm. listen to it usually with headphones in, which mm-hmm. means that when you're listening to my voice right now, it is mm-hmm. happening inside your head where your own thoughts happen. And so it's mm-hmm. the most intimate of medias. Yeah. So it's for that reason, I love it. And I will yeah. say I'm always, I'm, I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm amazed every time that somebody has joined our program, how often they'll say, I am a po- I am a copywriter today because I started binging your podcast or I'm here because I learned how to trust you on the podcast. So while attribution is really hard and to say, oh, yep, we took the 5,000 listeners this week and 30 of them joined our programs, like that's really hard to talk about or to see. Mm-hmm. I know it happens because we get it anecdotally. That's amazing. How do you deal with imposter complex if you deal with it at all, because I feel like we all see you. So many copywriters see you, you know, you're a leader in the space and it sometimes feels like you're, you know, this force and unstoppable and like you can do anything. So it's got to be easy. I'm for you. Sarah, I like this. Didn't somebody say that they said you don't have imposter complex? Like I haven't like, heard that. Do you, do you have it? Do you deal with it? If you do, how do you work through it? Because I think it's easy for all three of us to talk about authority building and we've done it. We're continuing to do it, not to say that we don't do hard things and still always a hard thing to do. Um, But what do you recommend those writers listening who are just like getting in their head, telling themselves this is going to be stupid or someone already said this before. It's too crowded. Um, What has worked for you or what do you think could work for them? Yeah, I don't have imposter syndrome like you said, Rob. I haven't experienced it. And I think that's just because maybe I didn't start by taking it that seriously. I don't know. But like when I started out as a copywriter, I didn't even know what it meant. So it wasn't like I didn't put it on some sort of pedestal. It wasn't like there's so many better people out there. I think there are so many better people out there than I am. Such strong copywriters. And I'm like, well, I'm not that good. Um, But I don't I don't know. I just don't. Maybe I'm a raging narcissist. I don't beat myself up for it. Like, I just, I feel like 
we all bring our thing. I know I have a thing to bring and like end of story kind of, right? Uh, I don't, I just don't. So for me, I know all of our, like so many freelancers in freelancing school and, and copy school pro have this, that exact imposter syndrome. My friend Tiffany, who uh, used to be head of growth at Shopify, uh, same thing. She had imposter syndrome. Um, and I love listening to people talk about it, but you know, I think part of it is, um, there's a, you, I, I don't worry that I'm a horrible writer. I like writing. I enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed it in university and I got rewarded for it. Um, so I like it and I feel like I take it seriously. I take the writing seriously enough and I take my reader seriously enough, but I don't hold it up on this like incredible thing. Unlike, you know, if you were to write some novel, then I think as soon as you have to like go pitch somebody on publishing your novel, that's like when imposter syndrome would really hit. <laughs> like, oh, I probably suck at this. But I just, I haven't had that thought. And I would encourage people, listen to people who understand imposter syndrome. And if what they're saying doesn't get through, if you're like, that doesn't feel right either, try, <laughs> try my way, which is just like, don't really care what people have to say about it. Easier said than done. And if you're like, Joe, that's dumb, then ignore me. But if the other things that you've heard about imposter syndrome haven't been working, look around at some of the big name copywriters out there and allow yourself to be really critical of the copy that these people put out. Um, and then you can ask, isn't that good? Like, hmm, I might actually be better than that person is. And like, let yourself entertain that thought. Like you might actually be better than they are. If you're not, a great way to cure imposter syndrome is the same way that you cure writer's block. Research, go find out how to do this stuff. Well, surround yourself with people who care about this. And then you might see that, oh, okay, I can do headlines. I headlines, I rock. And just like, don't worry about the other things. Also, don't try to do everything. Be a sales page copywriter, be the best sales page copywriter, and then forget about emails. That's not your gem. You don't have to do emails. If you're a sales page copywriter, just be that one thing. So maybe you're spreading yourself too thin. Maybe you're trying to be everything. Maybe you're somebody who thinks that you have to get all these results in order to share them because everybody cares. Nobody cares. Um, so just like, I think it's one part take it less seriously and then take parts of it more seriously. Very bad advice from somebody who doesn't experience imposter syndrome. <laughs> Sorry. I, I have to admit though, I, I have to, I mean, I relate. I also don't feel a lot of imposter syndrome in the things that I do either. And I, I'm not sure why I, you know, I can't put a finger on it. I think I, in your answer, I hear you sort of struggling to put a finger on yeah. that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, there are definitely things that I feel uncomfortable doing. But like, I've never thought, oh, uh, I, 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 so I had a conversation with Sam Woods a long time ago, maybe four or five years ago. We were talking about Gary Halbert's copy oh, yeah, and yeah. Gary Halbert, who is all often talked about as the greatest copywriter ever. Yeah. His copy isn't stunningly amazing. It's very simple. It's yeah. he, I mean, he was a master direct response 
marketer. Runner, yeah. But but and but his copy is good. I'm certainly not saying no, he doesn't deserve the title. But when I read his copy, I'm like, I write like this. I you know, yeah. maybe even I write smarter than this sometimes, which is yeah. maybe that that's worse in some ways, I know. But um <laughs> depends so on I, the audience. So I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Like listening to you answer, I'm like, I'm shaking my head. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I I kind of feel the same way. And I maybe I should feel imposter complex. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs> yeah, we're both broken. <laughs> okay, so um, as we start to wrap, I want to get back to what you said about trusting people. I think that's important. And so how have you started to trust people again? Because I think it is easy. I've struggled with this as I've grown in our business, um, trusting people less at times, even as you get like, quote unquote, bigger. Um, mm. And so how how are you dealing with that now so that you can trust people? Yeah. Um, slowly doing it. Um, only, I guess I'm just being like, I'm just kind of careful about letting people in. I don't think I'll ever hire anybody again who identifies themselves as a fangirl or a fanboy because there's this level of expectation that you're somebody who is like deserving of fans. And I'm like, I didn't ask for that. So if you come in and you think, oh, great, I'm working for Joe. This is going to be cool. And you have this like weird idea of me, you will find very quickly that I'm like a normal person who operates rapidly. Um, and so you'll be like, she expects too much. Yeah, I'm, I do. So like, you're not going to like me. And so I wouldn't recommend, I won't hire somebody who is like in our in our world and would say like, my number one thing is to work for you. That's like, you'll hate me. So that won't work. Um, so letting the right people in who I'm unlikely to disappoint, I think is maybe that sounds like, whoa, you've set the bar low, but kind of that's the key to happiness I've heard. So that's what's working for me. And also talking to other founders and business owners who have been through the same, like the only other time I've talked about this person suing me effectively uh, was when Rand Fishkin invited me to talk about it to his Spark Toro audience. Um, Rand has, Rand is so open with the struggles that he's had. So I think like a way to trust is to one, know that it's hard for a lot of people. If you're an employer, it's a whole different thing to be. Um, so be forgiving with yourself and know that you can be forgive yourself and, and others who judge you um, by looking around at the people like Rand who've had to go through the same thing. So again, it just seems to come back to the people you hang out with, like hang out with people who've been through it and then you can maybe learn to trust again. That's been my experience at least. Yeah. It's all about yeah. that network is net worth. Thing. Good advice. So what's next for you, Joe? What what's coming up in the in 2024 that's gonna make your life, copy hackers, maybe our lives better? <laughs> I love them. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> um yeah, so I'm working with two research assistants right now on a proper book, um, tentatively called Mine. Uh, but it's just about conversion copywriting. Um, April Dunford and I continue to work toward possibly maybe doing something that we're calling authority figures, which is like an event 
based thing where you get together and go through authority building stuff. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's the hard thing when you have, I have a business that's, you know, like growing and doing cool things. And she has a business that's doing the same. And we're like, we should do this. And then we just end up hanging out together instead. Um, but those are the things. So definitely the book, definitely the book. Um, but then otherwise possibly authority figures, which will maybe be of use. So I've been trying to get April on the podcast. She's, oh. she's said, well, she's always, it's like someday, like really busy right now. So like maybe if authority figures happens, we can get April on the podcast to talk about it. So that's going to be my fingers crossed. No, hook us up. Go ahead, Kira. Sorry. I said hook us up. Oh, for sure. I'll go slack her right after this and see what's up. All right, she's, so. she's been very, she's, I, I don't want to oh, like, she's not busy. been blowing us off. She's just like, Hey, I'm busy. Let you know. And I'm like, okay, I'll follow up in a little while. We'll see. So, yeah. yeah. I know Q1 is slammed for her, um, but maybe Q2. That'd be cool. We can always hope. All right. Yeah. So for our listeners who want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to go? It sounds like maybe it's Instagram now. Where should we're they go? right. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe Instagram. Yes. I mean, always, if you want to get tutorials and things, YouTube is filled with those. Um, yeah, I'm sending people off to non-copy hackers domains and Instagram is all sorts of stuff too, but we do have AI prompts. If you're somebody who's digging AI or wants to, um, we've got a whole section called AI prompts now, which we also then turn into content on social and YouTube. So you'll find it in different places. Um, and we've got a new like series of AI prompts coming. So that's over on copyhackers.com. That's like a hub for all of our stuff. Otherwise, Instagram is copyhackers and YouTube is copyhackers as well. Thanks, y'all. Thank that was fun. Great to see you again. I'll see you in seven years. Yeah. <laughs> That's the end of our interview with Joanna Weeb. I want to just add one or two thoughts to wrap up our conversation and give you just a little bit more to think about. Uh, obviously, there's lots of great things that Joanna has been sharing that we we're chatting with her. Two things really stood out to me. Number one, the daily non-negotiables that she talked about, Dan Martell sharing and encouraging. Now, Dan talks about doing the daily non-negotiables for a thousand days, like literally three years, and talks about how if you did them for three years, imagine the difference between who you are today and who you will be in three years. It's a little bit like a, a massive 75 hard. That's the program where you're encouraged to do several things every single day for 75 days. And it's all built around discipline and making sure that things get done. I've done 75 hard once before. I'm kind of in the middle of doing it now and recently even posted about that on LinkedIn and some of the things that I might do if there was a 75 hard for business. These would be, again, daily non-negotiables that you're going to do for 75 days straight. Or, you know, if they're for business, maybe you take the weekends off, but you're doing them every single workday. And some of the ideas that I had for that included, you know, if you are a copywriter, a content writer, writing something every single day. And, and Joanna talked about doing this and she only writes, or her, her minimum is only 100 words. That's not a ton. You know, it's, it's a, a couple of paragraphs, less than a page. That's something that we can all do. It's a tiny habit. It's a, a really small beginning. And so I would sit down and say, yes, 
we should all be writing something every single day. That could be something in your journal. It could be morning pages if you're into that kind of thing. It could be a daily email that you're sharing with your audience. It could be pages or ideas for your book. It could be anything. Number two, I would say another non-negotiable business habit would be making a connection with somebody every single day. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to pitch somebody every day, although I'm going to come back to that idea in just a second. But making a connection, creating a warm relationship with other people, maybe they're other copywriters, maybe they're potential clients, maybe they're people in the industry that you serve that aren't necessarily clients, but might be interested in some of the things that you have to share or to say, or you're interested in the things that they're saying and sharing. Those kinds of people you should be connecting with every single day. And if you added one new connection every single day, well, it doesn't take very long to get hundreds, even thousands of new people joining your list of people that you're connected to. And then, of course, you want to spend some time keeping those relationships warm. You don't just connect with people and forget them. You want to be sharing things with them as much as you can. Now, you can do this on LinkedIn. You could do it by email. You can get on you know, Zoom or some other kind of uh, you know, chat uh, software or something and forge these connections but you want to be doing it every single day. So you're building these relationships. I haven't used the word network, but that's really what you're doing here is you're networking, you're building a network that then will turn into potential clients or referrals, or at the very least support for you and what you're doing. Number three, I would work on something in your business every single day. Now, I'm not talking about client work. I'm talking about something that you're building for you. It might be a new service. You might be working on your website. It could be something that you're doing in social media, but it's for your business and focused on getting you out into the world or selling something that you do or creating something new that can move you forward. And then a couple of other ideas that come to mind. If you do not have clients, well, I would find a warm connection that you can pitch. I, I'm not saying you should, uh, you know, cold pitch or blind pitch anybody. I think that tends to be a mistake most of the time. You want to warm them up. Now, there are definitely ways to warm up a cold prospect so that when you reach out, they really like what you have written or what you're sending them but it goes way beyond the cold pitches that most of us see or that most of us have even been sending. We talk about that in one of our programs, the P7 client attraction system. And how do you go through that, what we call the connection spectrum and warm people up so that they are going to respond positively to that. But if you don't have clients, you need to be doing that. Find somebody that you're connected to warm and actually pitch. And when I say pitch, you, you don't necessarily need to say, hey, I want to work on a project for you or I want to do X. You can simply say, you know, this is the person that I help. This is how I help them. Just get the word out about the thing that you do. Now, another idea, if you don't have any samples to share, spend 30 minutes a day creating some samples. If you want to write blog posts for clients, write some blog posts for yourself or write some blog posts that might fit the kind of thing that your potential clients would be looking for. If you want to write emails, well, then write out an email sequence and show people what you're capable of. If you want to write sales pages, you should definitely spend some time creating a sample sales page that you can share with people down the road. Those are the things that you need to be doing if you don't have clients or if you don't have samples. If there's a hole in your business, focus on that. So that's what I mean by working on something in your business every single day. And then another thing, let's call this thing number four, thing number five, 
everyone should be doing things to build your authority. Even when you're just starting out, you don't need to wait to start building your authority. You know, we talked a little bit about this recently in our episode with Joel Kletke, and you're going to want to pay attention to what Joel shared about, you know, when's the right time to build authority and how much expertise you need to bring to the table. But you need to be out there building that platform for yourself so that when you are the expert, so when you do have things to share that are impactful, when you do need to reach out and ask for clients or say, hey, I've got an opening in my schedule this quarter, those people are there. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. Of course, you can do it on social media, on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places where most people do it. Uh, you could think outside the box a little bit, you know, write a book, start a group, uh, find a publication in your industry or in your niche and write a column for that publication. Maybe it's an actual printed publication or, or an online email, or if it doesn't exist, create that publication. Join organizations where you get exposure to other people that you can help and solve their problems publicly so that other people see how you do the thing that you do. But we should all be doing these things to build our authority. And that's just, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to ways to build your authority. Okay, one other idea that I just want to touch on before we're wrapped up here. We talked a bit about mentors and peers with Joe. Clearly, you know, Kara and I believe in this. We met in one of Joanna's masterminds. We have been in other masterminds with just some amazing people like Brian Kurtz and Todd Brown and, uh, and others. And what you get in a mastermind, as Joanna mentioned, is oftentimes the things that you need to hear. And, and it's even possible that your mentors, your peers in those situations don't always know the impact that they're having. They're just sharing the things that they're observing about you that, you know, oh, you should be doing this differently. Or here's something that I tried that worked really well for me. There's something about being in these kinds of groups that just lifts the way you think about your business. So you're no longer where you are, you know, figuring things out, but you suddenly have just this extra layer of thinking that can contribute to what you do. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're building in and, and that exists in the Copywriter Underground. Obviously, there are other programs that do this too, so find the group that works for you. But if you're a copywriter, if you're a content writer, if you are a marketer, a social media strategist, or writer, the Copywriter Underground is the kind of place where you can find those peers, those mentors, and the support that you need. Uh, and it can make all of the difference just like it has for Kira and myself. All right, I wanna thank Joanna for joining us to chat about her business. Chances are you're already following her, but if not, look for her on social media. She's Copy Hackers just about everywhere. And visit copyhackers.com to learn more about the programs that she has to offer. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole. So...